Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church or how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. The title of my message, since you're taking notes, is this, The Missing Peace. That's not a typo, by the way. The missing, say it with me, the missing peace. The missing peace. Let's, let's pray. Father, I pray today that you would help us. Lord, I know that in this room that's filled with people who love you, there is, well, there's a missing peace, Lord, that many are looking for. They, they've somehow, they've lost it, Lord. Maybe at one time they had it, but they've lost it. There's the missing peace in their lives. Jesus, you died to provide access to God. We have that access. You died to make us at peace with, with God, but also with one another, to bring that peace vertically and horizontally. And Lord, thank you that you've provided the peace that we need. But Lord, today, we want to be good stewards of the peace that you've given. And Lord, where that peace has been lacking, Lord, today, I pray we would find it in you again. And I ask today, come on, can we lift our hands right now to the Lord? God, in Jesus' name, I'm asking by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we understand these truths written by the Apostle Paul. Lord, inspired by your very spirit, I pray for you to give us wisdom and insight into Christ, what you've accomplished for us. Jesus, you are our peace. And Lord, today we want more of you. We want more of your word. We want revelation that, that works for our transformation. And so help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, God, today. We stretch our hands towards you. We're dependent upon you. We can do nothing without your help. So we, we rely on you. And Lord, I pray for everyone here. Lord, it doesn't matter how long they've been in church, whether they've been coming for years or they're brand new, I pray today that you do a special work in their lives today. Lord, we pray for the peace of God to mark us and to rule us. And we pray these things now in the awesome name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, let's pick it up today in Ephesians chapter two. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at verses 14 through 18. So if you're ready, say ready. ready. Let's do it. The apostle Paul wrote the following. Here's what he says. For he, that is Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making what? So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came, and Jesus came, and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were what? To those who were near. Verse 18, for, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, as mentioned, there's a lot packed in here, isn't there? I've got quite a bit of explaining to do, don't I? <laughs> so let me make this as plain as I can. This passage highlights one of the most important things that we could ever experience in this life, and that is what? I've been saying it, it's what? Peace. peace. Did you know that you were created to be at peace with God and also with other people? Did you know you were created for that? 
You were created to be at peace. But if you look into your own life, if you look into your own circumstances and situations, we have a long list of reasons why we can't be at peace today. Let me, let me see a show of hands. If, if you think long enough, and maybe for some of you, it's not that long. If, some of you, if you're lacking some reasons, if you really think about it, well, if you weren't worried, well, if you watch the news or go on your social media feed, I mean, all of a sudden you weren't worried, but you have like a lot of reasons to be worried, right? In the flesh, in the natural. But although there are many reasons to lack peace, we have a really, really, really good reason to have it in our lives. If we have Jesus, Paul says he himself is our peace. So you won't find peace in the world, at least not biblical peace. You'll find certain versions of it. True biblical peace is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. But if you allow yourself, you can go there, you can go around Jesus to all the reasons uh, externally and even internally, things within, doubts and things from within and all the issues from without, all those things that can basically steal your peace if you allow them to, right? And we live in this fallen, broken world where there are wars all around, obviously real physical wars in certain countries. There are wars against races, wars against people, relational wars, all sorts of turmoil in the world that we live in. But think about this. Raise your hand if you're married. Raise your hand if you have kids. Well, if you're anything like my family, if for some reason you want to disrupt the peace, not that you would, but just do this as a test. If you want to disrupt the peace in your family, well, listen to my sermon, go about your day, you know, here at church, say, you know, hi to your friends, slap high fives, and get in your minivan, get in your car, and then get all your kids in there, and then just ask one question. Where y'all want to eat? How many of y'all know, if you didn't have conflict, you're going to have some on your hand? Yeah. Because one wants to go one place, and the more kids you have, the bigger the battle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, I mean, World War III in your minivan <laughs> right after church, you know, or later in the afternoon if you go out for dinner, you know? And, and so th there's conflict, there's, tur there's turmoil, there's all that all around us, which oftentimes affects uh, and steals the peace from within us. But we all, we all want peace, don't we? Yeah. Or at least the majority um, there are some people, let's just be honest, there are some people who are their happiest, at least they seem to be, when they're in conflict. Y'all know the type of people I'm talking, the toxic type of people that I'm talking about? Like, they're, they're happiest when they're in conflict, causing conflict, or, or, or something of that shape, form, or fashion. Are y'all with me? Like, they're, they're, they seem to be happiest. They're not really, but they live for conflict. But, but I think the majority of us here, we really want peace. We want it with God. We want it with one another. We were created for it. And Paul tells us in the passage that we just read in verse 14, that Jesus himself is our peace. Now that's a big statement, isn't it? He is our peace. Irene in Greek, shalom in Hebrew. The idea here of biblical peace, it, it basically means this, that when we have it, it means living in a state of well-being. So when you have Jesus, he provides peace, which means that you live in a state of well-being. It's a sense we, we sing the song, it is well with my what? It is well with my soul. It's a state of well-being internally where there's no conflict, no real conflict going 
in, going on between your relationship with God and hopefully not with people, although inevitably there will be some disruption in our relationships from time to time. But overall, uh, Irene, Shalom, overall the biblical portrayal of peace is just that. It's living in a state of well-being. Let, let me say it further. It's the absence of conflict. Now, this is in the context of Ephesians. We could go further with this, but in the context of Ephesians, it's the absence of conflict watch this, that results in closeness or nearness to God and people. So in your marriage, peace means you're not fighting. How many of y'all know that's a good start? <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Well, we're, we're not fighting. We're, we're not at odds. There's no real conflict. How many of y'all know that's a great place to start? But you can be in the same home and no longer fighting, but still not be close to one another. How many of y'all know God wants you to lay down your weapons in your marriage? He wants you to lay down your weapons, but he also wants you to draw close to one another. He wants you to lay down your weapons so you can embrace one another closely. Does that make sense? And that's the sense of harmony. That's the sense of peace that Paul is alluding to here in this passage, albeit in a deeper context than I'm about to get into. But does that make sense? So peace, it's a state of well-being in your soul, but it involves us being close with God. It means us being close with one another, particularly in the church. Y'all know Jesus died to give us access to the Father. Y'all know that? And so you, you're at peace in that relationship. If you're right with him, then it's right with you, right? If, you're, if, it, if things are right at this level between you and God, then it's going to be right in your soul. You can say, it is well with my soul. But Paul goes on in this passage to show that Jesus not only died to give us peace with God, to make us peace at that level, vertically at the cross, think horizontally, Jesus also died to bring us together in the church, in our marriages, in our Christian relationships so we can be like this. How many of y'all know here in this church, we should be like this. It doesn't mean that I know all the details about your life. I can't be super close and know every detail of every one of your lives, of course. But I'm saying there should be a sense of solidarity. There should be a sense of, you're my brother, you're my sister. I don't know everything about you, but we're all Christians. We believe in the same Jesus. So let's be as close as we can with one another. Does that make sense? That should mark us here in the family of God here at Midtown. And so this is what biblical peace entails just in part. There's more to say, but let me say this. There are so many barriers in our lives, barriers that keep us from this peace that I've briefly spoken about. All kinds of barriers, all kinds of reasons for us to be at odds with one another. Would y'all agree with that? Like if you think about it, you got a lot of reasons to disagree with your brothers and sisters here, if you really think about it. In Paul's day, there was a barrier. There was a conceptual barrier that existed. There was a wall that existed. And that wall was really a metaphor. It was a symbol, if you will. But possibly, we're going to talk about it in a minute, it was actually a literal wall that Paul was thinking about in his mind when he made this argument. And here's what Paul tells us. He says that there was a dividing wall of hostility. Now, that's a mouthful, huh? Dividing wall of what? hostility, not just in general, but with respect to the Jews and the Gentiles in particular. There was a wall. You say, was it literal? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Maybe. That's part of it. But it was a, it was a, a wall, a conceptual wall. 
It was a mental wall that was erected that, that, that created hostility between one group and another. So if you picture the Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other, just, just picture hostility in that relationship because of some things I'm going to talk about. But it's, 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 it's heavy language. It's very bombastic language. I mean, hostility. You know, this is not like just a couple of little, you know, minor differences. The dividing wall, Paul says, of hostility stood between Jews and Gentiles. Now, y'all remember from last Sunday? Y'all remember who the Gentiles are? Y'all remember? Gentiles are essentially what? Non? That's right. And, and so in, in Paul's day... I don't know what was in his head for sure. I know what he writes next, so I'm going to unpack that. But Paul could have been uh, thinking about a literal wall, like not just in their heads, but a literal wall that would really draw the point very clearly. Scholars have pointed out that Paul could have been thinking about the short wall that was built at the temple in Jerusalem. Has anyone here ever been to Israel? You've been to Israel, walked through, okay, and seen the holy sites and such. Well, in Jesus' day, there was a temple that stood there in Jerusalem, and the temple was the dwelling place of God in the earth. It was the place marked especially with the presence of God. Now, you can meet with God anywhere, but the temple was the place where sacrifice was offered. It was the place where uh, a priest would draw into the most holy place. It was a very sacred, holy spot that really marked the people of God as those being indwelt, at least in the temple, there by the presence of God. So the temple was like a big deal. It was a huge, huge deal. And so in the, the temple, I wish I had a diagram. I didn't have time to get it, but there were several courts, okay? You have the inner courts of the temple, which were reserved for the Jews, for the people of God who had circumcision, who had the law, who had quote unquote access to God, the, the inner courts were reserved for the Jewish people. But then there were the outer courts, the court of the Gentiles, which were reserved for the nations, for the non-Jews. They could come to the temple, but only so close because there was a, a, a wall that divided the inner courts from the outer courts. Are y'all getting the picture? And over the course of time, we've uncovered ruins and there was actually a, 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 a warning inscription that was uncovered that essentially warned Gentiles that they would only have themselves to blame for their death if they passed that wall from the outer courts into the inner courts. It was a warning saying, Gentiles, you can come this close, but if you pass this mark, you only have yourselves to blame for your death if you do. So think about it, if you're a Gentile living in Jesus' day, living in Paul's day, and, and you know that that hostility is there from the other side. Say you're interested in God, and there were some Gentiles, of course, who were, but they knew, at least at the temple, that they could only, watch this, come so close. They could only come so close to the Jews. They could come, but only so close. Well, on the other side of that wall, of course, were the Jewish people who, for their own reasons, had, had used the, the revelation of God as a means to keep certain people at a distance. Now, y'all know all the way back from, from Genesis forward, God has always had a plan to reach both Jews and Gentiles. Y'all understand that? 
God used Israel as a means through which Messiah would come. But Messiah came and he bled. Jesus shed his blood so that Jews and Gentiles could come to God, right? Okay, so think though, if you're a Gentile at this time, you knew that hostility was there. You could come, but only so close. Paul might have had this in his mind when he was talking about the dividing wall of hostility in their heads and hearts, but also represented at the temple. Is that clear? Okay, I think that's a possibility. But I think in the text, I think we have, I think we have uh, another reason, go a little bit further here in this discussion to get a clear idea of what this wall was. Uh, I think the scholars are right in saying that the dividing wall of hostility that Paul was referring to was most likely the law of God, the Mosaic law that was given by God to Moses that was then given to the people of Israel and passed down over the ages. So if you're a Jew, of course, you would take great pride in circumcision, okay? Of course, males, eighth day of your life, you'd be circumcised, but that was a practice that was Jewish and it reminded you of the covenant of God and the promises of God. But the Jews also had what? They had circumcision and the promise that came as a result that, was, that, that circumcision reminded them of, but they also had the law of God, the holy law of God which marked them from all the other nations, separated them as the very people of God who knew Yahweh's statutes, who knew Yahweh's ways. So when you think of the law, don't ever forget this. The law is holy. Paul says it. The law is good. The law had its purpose. But the law was used, well, at times against people. And you know, you can take something that's good and from God, something that is his will, and you can weaponize it if you're not careful. What keeps you in, what keeps you safe can keep other people out, right? And so the law of God, it was good. It was given for a season. And there's so much to be said there to Israel for his specific purposes for Israel. But the, the, the scholars point out that the law protected Jews from pagan practices, they could not eat. Jews could not eat with Gentiles. They could not intermarry with Gentiles. And they had all of these laws and reasons why they must remain pure and holy. And there's a lot of good to be said about that. But listen, listen to what Harold Honor, who's a phenomenal New Testament scholar. I have his commentary on the actual Greek text of Ephesians. Here's what he says about this whole issue. Listen carefully. This is very good. I think this is very clarifying. He says, they, the Jews, were to keep the law, which provided opportunity to witness to their Gentile neighbors of God's wonderful deliverance and care. Listen carefully. Rather than using the law as a witness, it became a tool that enabled them to what? Look down on the Gentiles who they considered what? Sinners. Hence, and he's right, this caused hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Here's how I would say it simply. The law was given as a witness to God's holiness and goodness. The law was a witness, but some turned it into a weapon and turned it against the very people that Jesus also came to save. Jesus came for the Jews and he also came for the? But there was a sentiment, a way of thinking in the day that created by the Jews this separation between them and others. And yes, in many ways there was a separation, 
But Jesus came, watch y'all, he came from heaven to the earth to bring down every wall that divides people from one another. Ultimately us from God, but from also one another. At the cross, you see both. Jesus died to provide peace with God, but also as a means to bring us close to one another so that we here in the church, it might be hell and filled with conflict out there, but in here, this should be the place of God's peace. This should be the place of God's peace. And I'm not saying it's perfect. There will be disruptions in the peace, but overall we know the remedy, how to get it back once it's lost. And I'm going to show you what that means here in just a minute. But is this clear? I'm teaching you all the text. Just getting this across takes, takes some time and some work here. But, but I want you to think of the law as the means by which the people of God were to witness. But that which was a witness became a weapon, a wall, a weapon to keep people out. But Paul goes on to share, thankfully, the good news that Jesus came. And listen to this. This is wordy and it's weighty, but listen Listen, anyway, Jesus came to tear down. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility. Listen carefully. By abolishing the law of commandments. <laughs> what do you do with that? You know, you wake up in the morning, get your coffee. Y'all have espresso makers. You get your espresso, your coffee. You sit down, open your Bible, and you read that. What do you do with that? Don't text me that early. Okay. Well, there are resources out there. There's a lot of good teaching. But on, on your own, if you don't know context, like, what do you do with that? And see, listen, just side note, some people, they, I mean, we all at times have skipped over stuff like this because it doesn't make sense to us. And it's like, I need something practical. And let me say this, preachers have also skipped over things like this because they don't know what it means. Because oftentimes we don't take the time the time to let our hearts settle into the text. And we gotta go back into the text to find out what was going on then before we can get the truth to apply it today. So if sometimes you sit here and you're wondering why I'm sharing all these details, like Pastor Scott, what is all, it's because I want you to understand the context so that you can draw out the timeless truth that will apply to your life. But if we just go to application and we don't talk about the context, we might get it right, but oftentimes we get it wrong. Does that make sense? So that in the context, there was a dividing wall of hostility. It was a metaphor. It was a way of thinking. It was pride. It was a lot of things. But there was also a wall at the temple of Jerusalem. And there was this wall called the law that kept some people in and other, people's, other people out. But Jesus came, we're told here, to abolish the law of commandments. Like, what does that mean? Well, let me give you my best shot. We know that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not to abolish it, right? But to fulfill it. So we don't ever want to say the law is bad. If you say the law is bad, you've got all of Psalm 119 to deal with. You've got Moses to deal with. And you've even got Jesus and Paul. You just have to know the purpose of the law. You know, someone said where, where purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. When purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. If you don't know the purpose of something, you'll abuse it. Okay? So Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. Y'all know all that stuff, what we call the Old Testament? Y'all know that was written about him? Y'all know Israel is the people of God and what we call the Old Testament? They failed, they disobeyed, but Jesus came as the Messiah. He was the Messiah and he obeyed at every point where they disobeyed. And so in Jesus, we find forgiveness. In him, we are righteous. In him, we find peace. Everything that was lacking in Israel, we find in Jesus. 
Everything that's lacking in the world, we find in Jesus. So where do we go? To the law? No. Back to Israel? No. Where do we go? Into the world? Into palm readers? Into the things of culture? To find? No. If you want peace, you go to Jesus. In him, you find it. Okay? And that's what the Old Testament's been pushing us toward the whole time as we read it. If we'll have ears to hear and eyes to see. Is that clear? So he fulfilled the law. And Paul says that Christ is the end of the law for believers, which is a huge statement, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, Honer says this, and I think it's the easiest way to say it. I'll even qualify it further. But when Jesus died on the cross, he made the law inoperative. Let me say it another way. So because of Jesus' death, the law is not a requirement. Keeping it is not a requirement to access God or his people. We don't keep the law. We don't go to the law to get to God. We don't go to the law or keep the law to become a part of the people of God. Let me say it another way. Because of Jesus' death, listen carefully, neither Jews nor Gentiles become members of the family of God through the law. In other words, now because of Jesus, if you're, if you're a Jew, and, and we're pro-Jew, we're pro-Jewish. I'm just saying it's a way of thinking within Judaism. If you're a Jew and you think you're going to get to God and stay with God because of the law, Paul would say, you're mistaken. If you're a Jew telling a Gentile they must keep the law to get to God and to stay in God, Paul would say, you're mistaken. Both Jews and Gentiles have access to God, not through the law, but through Jesus the Messiah who kept the law perfectly. We come together into, the, into God's family through him. Is that, is that cool or what? It doesn't mean that there are no requirements. There are many imperatives in the New Testament. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. But, but what is the commandment of the New Testament? Jesus. That we believe, right? We believe. And Jesus said, love, <laughs> love. Y'all know the law is summed up in this, love your neighbors yourself, love. So if you're loving people, you don't need a, a list of 700 reasons of how to do that. That'll give you a good start. But if your heart is to love, you're not led by a list of laws. You're led by a heart of love and love seeks the, the betterment and the welfare of people all around you, Jews and Gentiles, right? It's the law of love. We believe, but out of that belief, we love. Does that make sense? It really simplifies it for us. I'm not saying that loving is easy, but at least it's simplified in that, isn't it? How many of y'all are hard to love? I am. I, boy, there are times in my life, if my wife were here, she would, amen. There are times when I'm hard to love. Raise your hand if you know some people are hard to love. Point to them right now. Let me, no, don't do it. I don't know. She went like this. We can all be difficult to love at times. We, we, can, we can all be that way. But aren't you glad when we were at our worst, when we were unlovable by every uh, definition and straight, just idea that God sent Christ to die for us. When we were unlovable, he loved us anyway. And so this is what we see going on in this text. So let me read it one more time just so we have crystal clarity. Because of Jesus' death, neither Jews nor Gentiles become members of the family of God through the law. Both Jews and Gentiles, come on Gentiles, become members of the family of God through faith in the broken body of Jesus, who in his broken body broke down the wall of hostility that separated us from other people. Y'all, is First service just stared at me. Y'all are getting it. Y'all are my favorite. First service is like, 
Maybe I wasn't being clear. Are y'all with me? Yes. Okay, so, so that, that's what's happening here in this passage. And so I've written it this way. Instead of a wall that divides, God provided a cross that unites. Yes. Does that make sense? So again, the law is good. You just need to know its purpose. You got to know its purpose in your life, especially in your new covenant life. Okay. So we have access to God. It's a beautiful thing, huh? And we also have access to one another, to be close with one another. Not knowing every detail, detail about everybody's life. You don't need to know all that, but there's a closeness here that we have, that we should have, that's supernatural, that's otherworldly, where no matter where you come from, what your background is, if you have faith in Jesus and have repented and are continuing to repent of your sins, this is the place where we come together and we identify as believers bought by the blood of Jesus, filled with the spirit of God to come together, to love one another as a sign and a wonder to the unbelieving world so that they will know we're his disciples by the way that we come together in our love for one another. Does that make sense? That's the way church should function. That's the way we should be. Y'all know the church is not, it's not the building. It's us. God's presence doesn't dwell in buildings. His presence lives in us. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But it's not just about Jews and Gentiles. Jesus died to bring all kinds of people together into one family, black and white. Let me just start there. Into one family. Sadly, our nation has a long history of racism and you can think about literal walls in certain countries and literal walls that y'all know the literal walls that's just an extension of the mental walls if you have it here you're going to build it there you're going to find your way to do it it's only come this far on the bus only come this close to me only come this close to my nation and i'm not i mean there's a place for protection but not this kind not this kind. There's no biblical warrant ever for racism. Ever. Now, let me just say this. Some people get upset because some people say, well, y'all only preach on racism when it's on the news or some big story. And let me say, maybe that's true in some churches. That's not true here. I haven't read anything recently on the news. I haven't been on it that much. But I'm going to keep on speaking and preaching against ungodly divisions. Because if it's not on the news, it's still on the streets and it's even in churches. And I'm here in Jesus' name to chase out every prejudicial, prideful, racist devil. And I'll be patient with anybody that struggles with it, but that is a sin that must be repented of. Does that make sense? And in some places it doesn't. That's why I have to ask. Sadly, black and white. I love the diversity of our church. I love, I'm just saying, this will be a house that reflects heaven. 
It's been in Pastor Jacob's heart for decades. It's been on his lips for decades. And the same is true for every one of us because we share this value because it's God's. Black and white. But think of all the divisions, rich and poor. I mean, you name it. I could hand the mic off over here and we go person to person to person. All of you have a story. And there are a lot of things we have in common. I'll tell you one thing. We all hate Alabama. Come on, somebody. <laughs> hey, after the first service, a guy came out Amen. and he had an Alabama head on. I said, I accept you. I love you. I will receive you as my brother. <laughs> you know. <laughs> he needs to repent. We've got a lot of things in common, don't we? Hunters, let me see your hand. We've got hunters? There are more of you than that. Okay, I thought there were like 90% of the hands would go, okay. Well, nobody's perfect, you know. <laughs> I'm just teasing, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But we got all kinds of reasons, even outside of being Christians, that we, we agree that we can find unity in, but at the same time, as we go around, if each of you were to talk about the things you're really into, the things you love, we'd be, a, I mean, it'd be clear we're a different bunch. There's overlap, there always is overlap. We're all so different, aren't we? Before I met Christ, I wouldn't have seen some of you as my brothers and sisters in any context. And some of you were thinking the feeling would be mutual. Just true, right? But instead of looking for reasons to disagree with you, instead of looking for walls to build up, I'm looking for bridges to cross to get to know you as my brother and sister in spite of our differences. And I'm not saying that we put up with sin in ourselves or in other, other people around us. We are called as a body to repent of sin and to continue repenting of everything that breaks God's heart. And we find unity there in the blood of Jesus that cleanses us in the grace of God that empowers us to go and sin no more. So if you're really in the church, a member of the church, you are blood-bought, spirit-empowered, and you have a disdain for sin, but you don't see people as the enemy. You see the spirit of the, the, the sons of disobedience at work in people. You see sin as the enemy, and we're fighting to crucify that, not one another, right? So I'm not suggesting that it's just, we are the world. We just all come together and there's no distinction. No, the distinction is we are blood bought, spirit empowered and our faith is in Jesus and we repent of sin and we call sin what it is in, in, in ourselves first. Start with your own life. But then we are called to hold one another accountable. It's like all through the New Testament. Before, I wouldn't have accepted some of you as my brother or sister. Before. But now, everything's changed, hasn't it? For me, everything's changed because of Jesus. And if Jesus reconciled me to God, why would I live in hostility toward my brothers and sisters who are also bought with the precious blood? Jesus. Wouldn't that be foolish? There are some people who feel at home in hostility. Maybe it's the way you were raised. Maybe you were raised in a home. It's just one, it was one long, constant conflict. And you had a front row seat to hostility. And it's just the way that you operate. It's the way that you think. 
maybe you didn't choose it, it was chosen for you because of the environment that you grew up in. I understand. But in Jesus, the curse is broken. In Jesus, may you say, I didn't have an example. In Jesus, you have one. In his body, you have more. We have 10,000 reasons to separate and to divide right now. But we've got the best reason in the world to come together. And his name is Jesus. He himself, Paul says, is our what? He's our peace. So the church is the one man, Paul said, that Jesus died to create. The one man. Ladies, think of it with the one person. We are the one man. So he took Jew Gentile and he made the two into one. But tearing down the wall of hostility so the two shall become what? It's like all through scripture, huh? This theme of oneness. We are the one person Jesus died to, to, to create. Sadly, at times the church acts like two men who are still hostile toward one another. And unbelievers pick up on that stuff. You know that? Y'all know that? It doesn't matter how well I preach. It doesn't matter how nice our building is. Well, that's fine. How hospitable we are here on Sundays. When unbelievers, when they see our division, I'm talking about unbiblical divisions. There's a time to make in your distinctions to make divisions. Listen, we are gonna believe what's true about Jesus. We're gonna preach the, the true gospel, not a false gospel. We are gonna stand on truth, not heresy. There are times I'm gonna say, ah, this is the circle of truth as God has given it to us. That's not, we're standing with this truth. Y'all understand that? I will fight for doctrinal and moral truth and purity in this church, in my life in this church. But y'all know sometimes the distinctions and the divisions we create are not based on God's word, they're based on our opinions or in our preferences. Jesus didn't die for your preferences. He didn't die for your opinions. He died so that we could be at peace with God and one another. And part of becoming a Christian is laying aside our agenda so that we can draw close to him and to the people Christ died for. But sometimes the church is like two men fighting. Unbelievers see that. And they're like, I've got enough conflict in my life. I don't need to become a Christian to get more. It's a true story. Sad, but true. That does not give them a pass to say on judgment day, well, I saw believers fighting. So God, I didn't believe in you. God will hold them accountable. But he'll also hold us accountable for being good witnesses. Won't he? Answer, he will. <laughs> not perfect witnesses, but good witnesses. I want to be one, don't y'all? But as my title suggests, there is a missing piece. It's not a typo. There's a missing P-E-A-C-E in the body. Why? Well, I could produce a list. I could give you six more of these with reasons. That's really bright, isn't it? It's very cool. But let me just give you a few. Let me give you a handful rather. So there's unforgiveness. There are offenses among us. 
that create fences between us. There's gossip, there's slander, there's pride, which is the root really of it all. Unbelief is there, they're bedfellows. Pride and unbelief, they're bedfellows. There's, again, racism, prejudicial nonsense in so many expressions. Sin of every kind. But then let's get real practical. There's also bad communication. (laughs) Can I give you all a real practical tip? Never share your heart through a text message. And preferably not on Facebook. You can, but that doesn't mean you should. You know, as believers, there are things you can do. You're free to do it, but that doesn't mean you should do it. Share information that you've already agreed upon. Share dates. My wife gives me dates for our dates and for other dates through text. She puts it on my calendar. She sends me information through text, but never shares her heart because her heart doesn't always come through, through text. Y'all know that that's just a practical, like we're gonna go deep in the word, but then we're gonna get super practical. (laughs) Don't share your heart through text messages, especially with someone that you are at odds with. In every situation and in every circumstance, especially with your brothers and sisters, seek to be at peace. Divisive Facebook posts that you dump how you feel out, but nobody else really listens. You know, there's a time, and I'm not, I don't want to harp on this, but Dr. Michael Brown is my friend, and he, he lives to debate people in the right way. He has a, a show called In the Line of Fire. James Wacken lists a lot of people who use social media platforms to engage people unbelievers and believers who are confused about, they they use those platforms and they can be really good. What I've found is that if you don't have that credibility, you can still say whatever you want, but a lot of times beyond the professionals doing it, and they are, it turns into people on Facebook just sharing past one another and no one's really listening. If they are, you're just making it worse. You're making uh, what was hostile. If it was a small fire, it just grows more and more and we just talk past one another. Post past one another. When people get upset with me, and I've done this on social media, let's sit down and talk face to face. Let's just talk. If they're local, let's go for, let's go for coffee. Let's talk. Let's talk about this as brothers and sisters in the Lord who deeply love one another. Forgiveness comes from the heart, but reconciliation comes at the table. Did you get that? You can forgive somebody from your heart from a distance, but if you're at odds with someone, get them to the table where they can see, hopefully, your posture of grace and love and communicate that way. Try not to overstate your case. And lastly, ask yourself this question every day. Am I building bridges or am I building walls? In other words, think before you act, 
think before you speak. Is what I'm about to say, what I'm about to do, is it gonna be unbiblically divisive? Think before you text. Think before you post. Ask yourself the question, is this gonna build up or is this gonna tear down? I'm using a different context. Is this going to build up a wall that Jesus died to bring down? Or is this gonna create a bridge where I can walk across to the other side to win the person to the truth? That's a very wise way to live. Ask yourself that question in your marriage. Is what I'm about to say, is this going to bring life? Or is this gonna bring death? Peace or division? And I know there is a time, there's a time to conflict, no doubt about it, there is. But let's make sure we are not building up what Jesus came to tear down. We are at peace with God. Let's strive, saints, to be at peace.